0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now I'm a southern child, southern child.
2: Everybody knows
1: where I was born. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast.
0: Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome back everybody to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman List Success Story. Super excited to have y'all on for this week. Uh, as we kind of roll towards the end of the month of January, uh, we have a, another listener on the show that we're excited to talk to, man. Uh, we have Travis Belcher on from Virginia, who had some great success this year knocking down two really nice bucks on National Forest in Virginia. And I've also got Andrew here with me as well, but uh, we'll get to Andrew in just a little bit. But Travis, how you doing, man? Doing great, guys. How are y'all? Doing well, doing well. Andrew's finally doing a little bit better, which Uh, is finally great to hear. Made it to the other side. I know, man, about time. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, Travis, we're excited to have you on, dude, and kind of talk uh, everything about what's happened to you this year and really uh, just kind of how the show kind of impacted you. But they kind of get us kicked off. Travis, how long have you been listening to the show?
2: I started um, at the actually first of 2020. um, I'm – I had never, I'd never listened to a podcast before at all. And, uh, this new job opportunity that I took this, uh, in 2020 allowed me a lot of time to myself. So I, uh, a buddy of mine introduced me to the podcast and he said, Hey dude, he said, you've got to listen to this, uh, this Nathan, Nathan Killen. Uh, he said, uh, Southern outdoorsman, he said, he said, he's a Virginia local. He said, it's got good information. We'd been talking about trying to, you know, do the, the beast tactics and hunt, um, you know, try, trying to move closer on, on older and mature bucks. And I listened to Nathan, I'm like, this just opened my eyes to the possibilities in Virginia. And just to, uh, you know, you put in the time you can be successful in, in your own state for, for older bucks.
1: That's awesome, man. So you, you narrowed it down to Nathan Killen. What, what is it about his episode that really stuck with you and, and kind of hit home for you when you listened to it?
2: well the main thing i mean he's he seems like a just a good old country boy that uh you know that loves to get out in the mountains and seems like his mountains i believe he's a little further south than what i am and uh and towards the towards the west but his mountains are a little bigger but you know i live in the mountains here in virginia and it's they're it's not easy hunting but if you get in there we have good quality deer in our area and, and you know older mature bucks and i i wanted to to drive in to find those. And he kind of gave me the inspiration for it. It wasn't a specific thing that, that Nathan did specifically. Um, he was the one that kind of kicked it off. Like, man, these guys really asked a lot of questions. You guys asked a lot of questions to him, like trying to pull out all this information. And it was just everything. Is, I mean, honestly, there wasn't any specific thing that he did. It was just, it was an eye opening experience that led into, I mean, a half a dozen more. Podcasts that are that are that I drove that hit me hit home to me that uh, that were very specific. Nathan just kind I could relate to him on a you know country boy country boy level.
0: <laughs> yeah. So Nathan's episode, which is episode uh, one seventy one. Uh, which his episode Mm -hmm. was very, very fascinating. We had a lot of guys, especially from your area of the country, that really could relate with his style of hunting, kind of hunting those mountains, and kind of how he uses terrain features and habitat to his advantage in an area that, you know, landscape-wise is very much the same. You know, there's kind of a lack of just overall cover, other than in his situation uh, being uh, mountain Laurel thickets and rhododendron thickets. But, you know, when it comes to you being a listener of the show and kind of listening to that episode, and that episode really hit home for you, I mean, what were some of the other episodes you, it sounds like you listen to the show a lot and a lot on repeat. Like you said, you know, what are some of the other episodes that's really, uh, you know, you've kind of taken to heart and really kind of enjoyed and applied some of those tactics.
2: I'd say probably the next one that, you know, I mean, going in, going into this year specifically, I had, I had this one buck that, that we'll talk about in a little bit that I was, I specifically wanted to, to go after. I mean, he was an old and I believe he's six and a half year old deer. I'm going to send the jawbone off to get it checked, but you know, I mean, I knew he was an old, mature buck, and I wanted to figure out where he was going, why he was going there, and, you know, how do I get in there on him. And the one episode that really sunk into me on what I needed to do was Jeff Holman on 122, the backtracking bucks. You know, moving those cameras, getting them on trails, you know, trying to get within that 30-minute time frame and in, in daylight picture of him. Um, you know, how to access into the stand, um, you know, he said, go into an area. He said, when you think it looks good, turn around. You need to hunt the other direction. You know, I, I try to keep those four specific things in my head every time I, I moved a camera, every time I thought about, you know, going scouting, you know, just looking and making sure that I'm trying to be successful down the road when that opportunity arises for me.
0: And Jeff's episode is a very interesting episode. We haven't had Jeff on in quite a while. uh, But Jeff's Mm -hmm. episode talking about backtracking bucks with trail cameras is, I mean, we had, when we first did his episode and the show was much, much smaller at that time compared to what it is now. We had a ton of people reach out to us because of his episode of how they were like, oh my gosh, this actually works. You know, got some guys talking to us about on their private clubs and leases, how they were able to, you know, backtrack bucks to a you know, general, you know, core area that they were spending a lot of time in, killing those deer or on public land doing the same thing. And his episode, I think, is really overlooked and probably we don't talk about it enough on the show uh, as one to go back and re listen to because I think it could be very impactful. And, you know, what. Of course, you know, he talks about using trail cameras to your advantage and kind of backtracking those deer back to their bedding areas uh, and also where they're spending time at. But, like, how did you apply that going into, like, this season?
2: Well, I started out, <clears throat>
0: I I bought more cameras. I mean,
2: I only, I've been running, over the last four or five years, I've been running, uh, you know, half a dozen cameras. And I said, I need more cameras to broaden my area to try to figure out, you know, where this deer is traveling. Um, so, Bought more cameras got out there and got on the trails that I know that he has traveled in the past and tried to move them in every direction that I could, that I thought that, or a trail that might head towards the bedding areas that I suspected him um, bedding in. Um, And what's very unfortunate is I got a one picture of him finally on, at the end of September prior to, uh, you know, to hunting season coming in and out of all those can I had eight different cameras running trying to get, get him coming in there to the to the bedding area. And uh he just he just would avoid me. You know, and I mean but it 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 helped me that that you know, Jeff Holman's episode helped me as far as then the the one picture that I did get of him was within thirty minutes of daylight. So I said, Okay. I said he's staying you know, he's not too far. I feel that he's not too far from there. But once I figured that out, I said, Okay this is an area that I need to be in going forward. Um, And then, you know, I started using some other uh, episodes and different things in other episodes to, you know, kind of, you know, move forward with Jeff's stuff and, and, you know, Adrian Farley and then the Jeff Holman episode for 136. I used that in the scouting um, that I did throughout the summer and then also the uh, last winter um, to to try to figure out where my does were. Um, you know know where the does bed know where they travel um, and then when the, the rut come which our muzzleloader season opens up at usually the end of October first part of November um, so you know that rut's kind of starting to the, the bucks are on the move so I wanted to know where my does were so my plan was for that opening day to be hunting my does hopefully if the buck's working his way back to his bedding He's going to check those does, and he's going to you know push them his way, how he wants, where he wants them to be, um, and that's that's what I try to do is position myself in that in that you know put myself in that situation.
0: Yeah, of course, and you know Travis, kind of from you know everything that you've kind of pulled apart from those episodes, and I'm sure there's probably other episodes as well that's been impactful for you. You know, I think a lot, one question that I like to ask these listeners, <clears throat> like yourself is you get all these different tactics that all these different guys talk about. Some of them are very similar. Some of them are quite different. How do you figure out what to sort through and be able to apply that out there, especially when you're hunting a, you know, a train area or like a habitat area that's not really even close to like what Jeff Homan hunts, what, um, what uh, Adrian Farley hunts, and stuff like that, but you can still apply some of those tips and tactics in an area that, you know, for you is home.
2: Yeah, and you know, and I'm gonna revert back to a different uh, uh, different podcast. There it was, it was Troy Pottinger, and you know, and he talks about scrapes, and you know, he always said he said I've hunted all over the the U.S., and he said a deer's a deer. So I kind of looked at you know, and I kind of I, I looked at that as you know, the man's done his research. A deer's a deer. So I'm just trying to take everything that I can that makes sense to me, and that I know that I can. I can put into place and, and hopefully will work for me. If I can't understand it, i listen to the podcast again and I'll listen to it. And then I'll, I'll ask buddies and ask questions um, to try to figure out exactly what, uh, you know, what, what the guys are saying in your podcast, man. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a person, I won't do something unless I'm a hundred percent certain that I can be successful or do it right. I'm not going to, you know, take a chance of doing something wrong where I'm going to screw something up. So I, I like to ask questions and make sure that I'm going to going to get it right.
0: Of course. And you mentioned uh, Troy Pottinger's episode, which is episode 175. That is a fantastic episode. And really, I think that's one that we're going to maybe even have Troy back on, uh, maybe for even a more in depth dive on uh, mock scrapes. But really, that's an episode that I would highly recommend for guys to re listen to, especially come this summer uh, when it comes to how to get your mock scrapes set up. Even, you know, he talks about doing them right now, even in off season, in the springtime doing them. Uh, but getting mock scrapes yes. set up in your areas so you can start really monitoring these bucks in your areas, whether you're hunting public or private land, and really apply that uh, for this coming season. So that's really exciting, especially for anybody that's trying to, you know, use that kind of tactic of mock scrapes to keep an inventory of what's really going on in your area. Um Now, again, you've mentioned quite a few episodes that have been really impactful for you, which is exciting. It's cool to kind of see how you pull different things away from uh, different guests to, you know, really kind of, you know, use in the mountains of Virginia. But let's talk a little bit more maybe about these deer. So, you know, you talked a bunch about different tips and tactics and stuff that you've heard and listened to. You know, how did that affect you? Or let me ask, how did the podcast and the stuff you've learned on the podcast change the way that you approached your style of hunting compared to maybe what you had done previously?
2: I pretty much changed about about everything that I do. I mean, my hunting in the past was, you know, go out, set in the place that Dad and Grandpa showed me years ago, set there, and and hope something walks by. And you know, the the as far as the research and and the um, the looking into what the you know the sign was there before going in there and sitting down, we never did that. You know, and I wanted to go in and see why that buck's coming from that direction or what buck's in the area, you know, run those cameras, find those trails, look for those bedding areas, check the wind. I wanted to, you know, do all that stuff. And uh, I mean, just trying to have a consistent, repetitive process in my head each time I go into the woods so I can try to be on my A-game. Um, Cause I mean, you, sometimes, you know, in the woods, i can't remember the um, specifics. I think it might have been uh, who was it? Devin Duncan, maybe talking about it. He said, uh, "You know, sometimes those opportunities arise very fast, and you only have a limited amount of time to to take that deer. And you know, you gotta you gotta when the time's right, you gotta take that take that chance."
1: Uh, kind of going back to something you said earlier. You were talking about how you know Jeff helped you out um, with the whole backtracking the bucks and everything. And you mentioned that you got a picture of one of these bucks within like 30 minutes of legal shooting time. Uh, So can you can you kind of walk us through that situation, kind of where that buck was located is in like the habitat he was living in. And also, I'm curious about uh, when you got that picture of him, how did you treat that area? Did you like kind of try to stay out of there until you were going to go in for the kill or did you continue like pushing in?
2: Yeah, uh, where I got his picture at was was closer to his his bedding, um, and uh, where I was where that buck, specific buck was at, is on the the north or northwest side of the mountains, and it's usually you know a lot of mountain laurel, depending on which side of the ridge. You know, the uh, one area that I was that I got his picture at um, is like a main lead that comes off of the main mountain, and then there's like fingers that come off of this main lead on the side of this lead is very steep. And then these fingers, they'll have a thick side, and then they'll have like an oak side. The thick side will be with um, uh, mountain laurels, some pines, and some uh, some red oaks and chestnut oaks. And then the steep side will usually be chestnut oak and red oak, and it'll be open, but it's extremely steep. Um, but as they, you know, I, w- I was trying to get as close to where I thought he was betting. And uh, it was a hard trail coming out of this really thick pine and mountain laurel. Probably it it wasn't a ridge. It rolled into a, I'm going to say like an upside down bowl on the side of this, on the side of this ridge. And it was just a big kind of knob and it was thick. And there was, there's no easy way to get in there, um, to try to hunt inside of that. There's some, there's some spots inside of that area to where you could probably shoot, you know, 40 yards, um, but I wanted to hunt the outside edges of it and hope that he would push some those out to me. But uh, you know, trying trying to get in there, and, and I, I found the trails coming in and out of there. I hung cameras on a few different trails coming out of there, and uh, just happened to catch his his picture as he was working out and working down the mountain at uh, I believe it was 7:30 at night. Um, so that that gave me gave me hope. But uh, I still never went in there and hunted him until the last day of October. Um, I, I, I'm i not afraid to get in there. I went in there and scouted three other times from that time I got his picture. I didn't pull the camera until, I think, mid-October. Um, but I, I I still go in there. You know, I've heard on some of the podcasts, you know, the guys are like, you know, stay out of there. And then I think it was – it might have been Jeff Holman, you know, he says – Hey, I'm, I'm checking cameras, you know, two or three days. I think that's who it was. Um, I, I would go in there about once every week and a half, two weeks, something like that. But I was still trying to learn everything I could and trying to find, honestly, most recent sign. I was trying to find his sign because, I mean, I, he, was a, he was the boss of that area. And I felt like I was going to find rubs or scrapes or something that was going to identify him. And and put and showed me exactly where his area was. Well, I'm telling you, boys, I walked <laughs> a lot of miles in those mountains, and I never found his specific area. But I, I, I found where I thought he was bedding, and it paid off.
1: So what <clears throat> what what did the hunt end up being like? I mean, did you kill him on that that kind of thick knob that that you got the picture of him on, or did you kill him way off somewhere else?
2: Well, how the how the story went that morning, I, I got up really early. And wanted to get in the stand extra early just in case he was working too bad, um, way before daylight. So I got up into, uh, um, it was actually my second time ever hunting out of a tree saddle. I, where I hunt at, I walk way back in the mountains and I'm tired of carrying tree stands and, and, and climbers and, you know, shed 15, 20 pounds. And makes it a whole lot easier.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But, uh, I climbed up in my, uh, I used a set of, uh, shakar sticks. I got up in this tree. And I get up in there, and and then daylight breaks. I'm looking around, and I'm like, "This isn't where I need to be." I said, "You know," and I started thinking how I, how I look back on how I could hopefully get on this buck. I went back, and I've got pictures of him all the way to 2016. The night before I went and got in this tree, I went back and I looked, and I said, "This is the ridge I need to be on." And I, I didn't have a preset or nothing. I went in there and just hung my stuff, got up in the tree. And uh, I got up in the tree, you know, broke daylight and everything, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, why am I here? You know, I started asking asking myself the questions. I heard, you know, uh, Andrew and Jacob, both of you, you guys saying, you know, I need three reasons why I'm here. And I'm like, I couldn't come up with those three reasons. So I said, uh, you know, it's this ain't right. So what did I do? I was in the stand for maybe about 30 minutes. Here I come back down. Slinging sticks. I just I come on back down the tree, and I said, "Well, I said I'm going to ease further down the ridge where I felt I needed to be. So I would walk when the wind blowed And I mean, the wind wasn't much that morning. And I just take my time and ease and through a saddle to a to a high point, which is a which is another ridge that run down on another finger. And there's some hidden ridges um, off of these fingers. When you have these fingers come through, there's hidden ridges between those. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it's something that just re- doesn't really okay. show up on topo map, but it's it's just a landmark that's there. That's uh, just more of a subtle yeah. terrain feature.
2: Yes, sir. And something I had noticed in the past in hunting in there, um, <laughs> these these bucks or deer, they would go to those ridges, and they and if they, you seen them or you know jumped them or whatever, they would disappear in a hurry. They had an easy exit exit route out of there. So I knew that, I, or I felt like that would be, I needed to be able to see that area. I felt like that would be where he would be bedded possibly. So anyways, I snuck through this, uh, this bench and pulled up on this high point and actually had, had jumped a small doe and went up there and found where she was bedded. And I looked back down this ridge and I said, that's, this, that's where I had found the sign, the buck sign back in the middle of the summer. And I said, I need to go down there. And I remember that's where I had a camera that I had run in years past. I had been running a camera in this in, at the bottom of this one holler for the last three years. And i had always got different bucks traveling through there through the month of November. And uh, so I said, well, I'll just slide down, down this ridge and see if I can find that sign. Well, I got, you know, 75 yards down this ridge just sneaking. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm in my head trying to say, okay, only walk when the wind blows take a few steps and stop and listen. If I hear a pop crack, you know, trying to drive in my head not to push it, you know, kind of just hunting my way through. And it took me, I don't know, two and a half, three hours to get across this ridge, which was only maybe 250 yards. I mean, I just, I was hunting that slow. Um, got down there and I, I realized I was right where I had found some, some, what I consider a big buck scat from, during the summer it was fresh and old and I was like this I just I need to be here something told me that I, I needed to be right there and I said I, if he works above me coming up from the bottoms I said I've got him covered all the way to the top if he comes around from the, the other direction I, I've got him and the wind was coming out of the it was coming out of the southwest and it was blowing up kind of up and over the, the steep side Well, whenever I dropped down into the, the hall or dropped down off that ridge into that kind of hidden ridge down in there, the wind was, the thermals was pulling down. And it was getting up in the morning. They should have been going the other direction. Well, for whatever reason, they were still pulling down. So I said, well, I need to be down here where I can see further down below me. Um, anyways, I take two Shakar sticks and I hang my platform literally maybe eight foot in the air. And, uh, I'm leaning back, just, just getting everything set up. Just, just hadn't been in the tree 20 minutes and I reached down and was going to text my buddy and I just happened to peek around the tree and I look up and I've got one lane that goes up the hill and there's a buck standing there. At this time, I don't know that it's him. And of course my gun's hanging off the left side of the tree. I'm leaning back like a, you know, fat cat, just enjoying myself with my hands on my phone. And I'm like, oh man. The buck that I wanted you know was was the big eight, but I wasn't sure if it was him or not. and I, I slowly I'm trying to reach for my gun while he's looking my way, then he hears something and turns his head to the right, which is off to my left. I'm getting my gun up and off, and I'm starting to bring it around while he looks back down my way i'm I thought I'm busted, you know he's about fifty yards, maybe um. Plus, so i am got my gun over top, uh, you know, right in front of me here, just peeking out just ever so slightly around this little bitty pine tree. And he looks, and he hears something back to his left, and he's facing straight at me, but he hears something back to his left. And uh, he turns, and when he turns, I see the, the G2s and G3s, and I'm like, that's him. And I, as I come down, I take the safety off, cross errors, and I squeeze the trigger, and he, he folds. He, um, he never took a step. I don't know which direction he come from he just appeared and and I still I mean I wasn't certain that it was him until I got up to him and then I it was it was surreal
0: that's awesome dude and uh again that was on was it the first day of the muzzler season
2: yes sir that was uh that was Halloween day
0: now and also I'm, I'm curious about that shot so you it was a frontal shot you kind of hit him in the front of the chest
2: yeah well no I hit him kind of at the up in the neck probably about um say six inches down from the bottom of the chin i was more going towards the chest but i did not take my time you know i i put one of those hey let's let's get it in him and i wanted it right you know center mass there and and he folded. He never, never took a step, never kicked or anything.
0: Man, that's that's wicked, dude. That's real wicked, especially with the muzzler, dude. On shots like that, that's that's awesome. Um, so you get up it, to him, and of course, I'm sure there's a ton of emotion going through once you realize what buck that was, because dude, that buck is a freaking slammer.
2: Yeah, he, uh, you know, I, my, I had, I had some buddies from out of town that were down hunting in the area across, you know, the valley and stuff. And they're hollering on the radio. Was that you? That you, you know, what was it? I'm like, it was me. I was like, I think it's him. You know, I said, I don't know. And I get up there and I'm like, guys, it's him. You know, I was, I was speechless. I didn't, it, it, it was a surreal moment. And I really just kind of soaked it all in. I, I stood there for 45 minutes, just, just looking at him, just being like, wow, this, this, uh, that this story comes to an end here, you know, but I was I just so appreciative because I mean, you know, deer of that age is few and far between and, and to be successful on the first day, it it, it almost seems it, it just is almost like a dream. I'm like, it just happened too fast. I was, I had days off planning to hunt this deer hard and, you know, I'm, I'm, I moved locations, you know, I seen that one location wasn't right, moved, got up a tree. 20 minutes later, and boom, he pops out right in front of me. If he'd have stopped four foot to the right or four foot to the left of that one lane I had up there, I would have never been able to
1: see him. I was about to say, you almost pulled a Jacob and let your phone uh, screw up a big buff, buck opportunity for you. Man, yeah, it,
2: uh, <laughs> yeah it, it's 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 cost me a deer or two in the past. And I, I tell you, I, I try to go places where I don't have cell phone service, so I'm not on, on my phone, you know.
0: Yeah, so Travis, so you take that deer... Uh, what, but that was not the end of this season man you still had another tag in your pocket so i mean what was kind of that next step for that for that last buck you killed
2: well uh you know i mean i'm like i want i want to kill a kill a better buck and i said i really don't want i that was my you know the buck that i killed was the number one deer that i had pictures of and i, I didn't really want to kill the number two deer for that area i'd really rather him get another year. So I I had some cameras running in another area, in another county, and I said, I'm going to go check that out. I had some vacation days planned through the first and kind of the beginning of the second week. And, well, after killing the first buck, I said, I'm kind of going to move those further back a little bit, try to get um, towards rifle season and, and take some time. So I decided to take off Friday the 13th. Um, The wind was supposed to be blowing terrible. supposed to be a front coming in. Um, And going into Jim Forbes' episode, you know, he said he loved to hunt those northwest winds. Well, I said, you know what? I said, I'm on the 13th. I said, it's the day before rifle season. I said, I'm going to take my muzzleloader. Now, the area that I was going to, I pulled cameras at the the first week of bow season. Um, I pulled my cameras from there. Not thinking I would have a lot. When I pulled these cameras, I had one specific camera that was at a. I'm gonna say they had like three different. Um, uh, it, it, there was an edge of a laurel thicket, then there was edge of a clear cut, and then a corner of a uh, kind of like an oak flat. Well, there was a there was a. I had a camera on a scrape there. And in two and a half months, I had 732 pictures of mostly bucks hitting this scrape. I'm like, what in the world? You know, it, it just blowed me away. Well, anyways, you know, I, I plan on going up there and trying to find some of these bucks on, on, this thir- on the Friday the 13th. It was foggy that morning. It, uh, I waited for the fog to, to move out. You know, got a little breakfast at the house. By the time I got out of the truck, the fog was just starting to lift and the sun was starting to shine through. And of course the wind started picking up. And, uh, by the time I hit the top of the mountain, the wind was rocking pretty good, but it stayed a consistent, you know, consistent coming out of the Northwest. And I said, well, I said, I'm going to hit this, hit this mountain. And I said, I'm going to walk all day to find the sign that I want to find. And then I'm going to come back in here on open day rifle, which was the next day. And I said, I'm going to hunt. Um, and right off, I find great sign, um, and it was actually where those other scrapes were that, or the scrape was where I had the camera early bow season. Um, and I'm like, man, this is this is good sign. But I said, you know, and you know, it's eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning. I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep walking. I'm just maybe there's something better. So I'm walking just over this uh, just under the the top of the mountain out through there, and I walk. It was like three and a half miles out the mountain trying to check just under the south side, just under the lip of the, the top of the mountain, all the way out there, and looking for that next hot sign. Well, I get all the way out through there, dude, and it, it just, it trickles down to nothing. And, uh, I mean, it, it's some beautiful area for whenever a buck does, does decide to use it. It, it narrows, The mountain narrows down a whole lot, and I'm going to pursue that hopefully this next year, but I, I didn't find the sign. So I got all the way out there, and I said, well, I don't need to be here. I said, I need to be back where that other sign was. I said, I, that's, that's the area. So I said, well, I'm going to drop over to the other side of the mountain and work it all the way back towards, towards that sign, just to check both sides of the mountain there. Well, I'm heading back that way. Um, the wind quits blowing at about, I don't know, 1.30, 2 o'clock, something like that. For about an hour. So I sit still, and you know, the whole time I, when the wind rocks, I'm walking and I'm looking, you know, I'm looking for sign as well as looking for deer, kind of hunting my way through the woods. And, um, do I like a, whenever when the wind quit blowing, I sat down for that. It was about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. And I, I just sat there in a spot where I could see some area and just look. And then, uh, wind picked up again. And I said, well, it was, I walked a little ways and it ended up being about four o'clock and I said I said I've got about forty five minutes to make it back to this spot where I found all this sign. I said I'll hunt this last hour or forty five minutes or so of daylight and just hunt this and see if anything comes over this north side out of this thick stuff. <clears throat> so I'm I'm like, all right, that's my plan. The wind will blow, I would walk, you know, hunting and walk and hunt and walk and get all the way. I get within about three hundred yards of uh of there and i'm you know i'm just kind of creeping in and and i pull back off of the i pull back up off of the the north side of the mountain where i'm hitting the edge i pull back up and i'm kind of hitting the middle of the mountain just trying to to make tracks to get out there i then decided that i was going to go all the way to that sign i get out there to uh within you know i said Within 150 yards, I'm mean, going to start moving and start slowing down a little bit, just kind of creeping my way through because it, it opens up. But it's really thick just over the break of the mountain on the north side. And I'm, I'm easing through this spot, and I just happen to look up, and here comes a doe. I hadn't seen a deer all day. Well, here comes a doe off the north side of the mountain. She comes right across in front of me about 45, 50 yards, and she's just angling, kind of angling away.
1: <clears throat>
2: and I said, huh, well, now. I said, I need to be, I said, I need to be on the other side over because the wind was kind of carrying that direction. So I was kind of looking and, well, and then I see another doe. I said, well, maybe I need to stand here. Well, when she went behind a tree, I, I moved about six steps to a, to a bigger tree to kind of get me out of the wide open. So I'm, I'm peeking my head around the tree, just kind of looking and see, well, that doe just disappears. And I still had no idea where she went. And I'm just, just looking. And all of a sudden I catch something out of the corner of my eye closer to me coming up over the hill. And I see, you know, antlers sticking up and I'm like, oh, that's, that's a pretty good deer. And going back on the the pictures that I had running off of those scrapes, I, I I could see that the buck only had one side. And I had three different bucks that had half racks. And uh, one of them that I thought was a good older, mature deer, I called him Curly. He had a really nice a uh, half eight point side and then his other side really just went straight back off his head. And I said, if that's curly, I said, I'll, I'll put my tag on him. And as soon as I raised the gun, I seen that, <laughs> that curl coming straight off the back of his head. And I just pulled down and shot. He was about 40, 40 yards, maybe 45 yards. And he run about, I don't know, 10 yards and did a nose dive, stuck his horns in the ground and done a <laughs> headstand for me. So, and I was just like, it's over i said you know this this season has come and gone that fast man i was just tickled to death i i I, it was the best season i've never tagged out on two bucks in the state of virginia or or even yet two mature bucks and i was really really blessed and, and tickled
1: yeah man that that second buck especially is is wicked i mean that that one side he's got is just like kind of crazy looking so I about that story I got to ask um, so do you think those deer were bailing off the back side of that mountain like trying to get out of the wind is that what they were doing
2: no the wind was coming from the back side of the mountain that, Oh. it's a uh, on, yeah it was it was a north it was northwest wind coming out of the Northwest and it, it was on the winds coming from that direction um, that side of the mountain is thick uh, I killed uh, some deer up there in the past and there's there's always that's where they bed that's their main bedding area but when that that whole backside of the mountain i mean i'm talking two and three miles and you can't see you step down in it and you can't see 15 yards so it's it's that thick but i don't feel that the deer are going a long ways over that mountain Um, there is some open spots on that mountain it's it's terrible terrible steep in there but uh they love to bed in that stuff they know they, they don't get messed with they don't get any pressure on that side and that's that's something that i'm venturing more into is getting in those areas i've hunted in there in the past and seen some deer but it's that's where the big bucks in these areas that's where they live they love that thick stuff
1: being a being that that thicket is like the size that it is, that it is, uh, do you feel like that that holds a lot of the deer in the area? Like that one, like real large thicket. Yeah, I,
2: there's there's it's that section is mountain moral, and then you have other clear cuts that are on top of the mountain, and then also on the south side. I feel that those thickets like that that runs that whole backside of that mountain. I'd say it holds several. Uh, mature bucks and, and I, I would say probably for that mountain i would say it probably holds better than 50 percent of the deer they always seem to travel from that north side the thick stuff across the top and down to the south and go down to some of the some of the farm fields and stuff
1: well awesome dude well travis can't thank you enough for coming on man and Huge congratulations on your two! I mean, like you said, they're mature bucks, but I mean, they're not just mature bucks, man. They're both like big, really impressive deer. And Travis, well, not, thank you guys. Well, hey, not
0: not even that, just that, dude. But I, I'm just impressed for you to be able to go out there, dude. Change your mindset from kind of what you've been doing in the past, and kind of like this traditional way you were brought up deer hunting. And actually go out there, be a little bit more aggressive, find the right sign, and not just settle in a spot because that's where you sat up before in the morning. Again, this that that story with that first year of how you got down because it wasn't you, you couldn't really find the you know enough reasons to really be sitting there to make it happen, dude. That is exactly what I just it gets me fired up hearing that because. You know, so many guys, especially before they kind of hear some of these episodes and understand, you know, you know, some of these different uh, tips and stuff about, you know, finding multiple things in air that really makes you want to set up there instead of just settling because oh, it's it's daylight, I'm just gonna sit here all day, um, dude. That that's huge. That's huge because so many other guys would have sat there and probably not seen anything and just you know wrote that day up as as a as a you know loss or whatever. It's called making your own luck. Exactly, dude. So that that is awesome.
2: That that was exactly, I mean, and, and you two guys are, are the ones, to, you know, that I need to be thanking for that because, I mean, y'all specifically said, you know, if it ain't right, if you don't have your reasons to get up in a tree, why be there? Why waste time? I heard Andrew say multiple times, you know, why waste time in that spot? You know, yeah, you can use some as, a, as an observation stand and, and learn from it. Um, but, you know, there's time for that and there's time to say, okay, I'm gonna keep walking and find what exactly I'm looking for, then I'll get in the tree. I don't have to get in the tree. And that's what I was committed to do and and it it paid off, man. I mean it was I really appreciate you guys and what you do, man, and, and picking the minds of, of all the uh the guests that y'all have. I mean, I'm telling you, I it, it you you got me hooked, man. It's uh I
0: love it. Awesome, Travis. Well, hey, thank you again for coming on. All the listeners out there, appreciate everybody who's been listening along for this season. Uh, anyone that is, you know, new to the podcast, I know we picked up a ton of new listeners over the last month or so. You know, there's a lot of great content that was dropped this year, uh, especially this deer season to go back and check out some of these episodes that even Travis had mentioned. You can go and listen to, uh, and just maybe try and figure some stuff out for next season. Um, but as deer season winds down for most of us in the country, turkey season is coming up. Um, and just, you know, a few months for some of us, um, and we're extremely excited about that. Uh, Travis, you're one of our second to last listener success stories for this year. We have had over a hundred people write in. Uh, and these are just the people that wrote in about having success using tips from the podcast. So Travis, again, you are one of the few that were selected. I'm glad to be able to get you on, dude. Uh, everybody that uh, wasn't selected uh, for this year, uh, please says, hey, hold on to those stories because we could use some of those early next season and over the summer as well when we change back to uh, turkey or deer hunting content. But uh, with turkey season coming, up, we got one more great deer hunting podcast coming up on Monday and another Listen to Success Story, and then we're going to transition over to turkey content. And I hope some of you guys stick around for turkey season. We have some awesome stuff happening this spring. Uh, and I know, Travis, you said you're a big turkey hunter too, man, so maybe we'll have to have you back on for that as well as uh, one of our strut reporters. And that's one reason why I'm bringing this up is all of our listeners out there, we need a network of you all, uh, the guys that are getting out after turkeys, uh, from beginning of season, end of season, whenever you can, we are needing guys for our weekly episode for our strut report. That is our bonus episode we do in the springtime, uh, where we interview between four to eight guys a week, a very short interviews about what the turkey activity is like in your area. So anyone that's interested in that, please, if you would, actually send us an email. It's the easiest way for us to keep it organized. It's southern, or I'm sorry, info at com. And uh, send us an email saying strut report in the title, and then we'll get you on there because I'm going to need probably a 100 of you all at least for this season across the country. Uh, and Travis, again, dude, love to have you on for that too, man, at, with you getting after some turkeys, brother. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to be out there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, brother. All right, guys. Well, hey, thank you again for listening to this week's uh, listener success story. Tune in for Monday's episode. And uh, until next time, y'all stay Southern.
1: You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also... How to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years. And it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on, or or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year, and guess what? This year, it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo, June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.